Welcome everyone to the Radical Reverend Show. Of course, we are recording as we have been doing for the last six months or so off-site, but it makes for some very interesting conversations and allows us to have guests we wouldn't otherwise be able to have. Today, uh, the focus really is on Aboriginal rights and I'm starting the show off with uh, none other than probably the preeminent lawyer on Aboriginal rights on the file, and that's John Olfius, who's... uh, one of the founders of Ultheus Clear and Townsend, along with 36 lawyers. He has been an activist and Aboriginal uh, rights lawyer for 50 years and dealing with issues right across Canada. John, welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So let's start with, with just a little bit about you. So what got you involved in Aboriginal rights of all the fields of law you could have gone into? Why this one? Well, I started practice in in the uh, mid-1960s and uh, with the thought that there was some connection uh, between law and justice. And uh, I soon understood that conventional law practice was essentially uh, supporting and uh, uh, enhancing the the status quo. And uh, that wasn't uh, who I was. I grew up in a family where they put quite a bit of emphasis on uh, the Christian principle of loving your neighbor. And for me, that meant uh, working for for justice, uh, uh, justice is political love for the neighbor. So I uh, stopped uh, practicing uh, law at that point and became involved in the uh, struggle for uh, uh, different uh, with marginalized peoples, uh, joined a group uh, that's now called, or started a group that's now called Citizens for Public Justice, which focused on issues, and then eventually got back um, into uh, law uh, because I then saw the possibility of, of law being uh, a vehicle for justice for uh, for Aboriginal folks. So I've been doing that then for the last, uh, oh, more than 50 years, actually. So when you look back over that 50 years of activism and legal action on behalf of Indigenous, um, are there some themes that jump out at you uh, that our listeners should know about? Well, uh, I mean, Canada's Canada's history of dealing with uh, uh, First Nations people, Indigenous people, of course, is appalling. Uh, I mean, starting with uh, the, the, the early treaties, which essentially were fraudulent in that they were pre-written and uh, often uh, there were uh, priests that interpreted the treaties to uh, say that they uh, it was a sharing treaty when actually the treaty said that the land was ceded and released. So we have this long history of of, of uh, genocide. I I think it's it's uh, that that's what it, it needs to be called. And uh, in 1969. Canada tried, that was under Pierre Trudeau and uh, Jean Chrétien, Canada tried to do away entirely with any uh, distinct rights for First Nations people with a a white paper. Um, Fortunately, uh, First Nations, and and I was involved in that struggle at the time, got together and fought against that until, uh, and, and it was amazing in 1982, which was only 13 years later, I was part of the team, the uh, AFN, Assembly of First Nations legal team that negotiated section 35 into the constitution, which uh, recognized and affirmed Aboriginal and treaty rights. So that was then a constitutional base, but Canada continues to to, to fight uh, against that. Well, Canada and and the provinces. So it's, it's an ongoing struggle to get that constitutional recognition uh, implemented. And uh, First Nations are becoming much more, um, uh, they're, they're, they're doing a lot of things uh, to try and, and do that, including, including uh, protests, including, and, and for me, uh, the, at the heart of the protests are 
of standing up for land which Canada cannot legally uh, demonstrate. They came by through honest uh, treaties. And um, that's why uh, protests like the one at Six Nations are so important because the land, of course, all originally was, was Aboriginal land. And um, the onus must be on Canada to show if they have come by that through through treaties that were, were, were honestly and legally negotiated. And in the meantime, there should be a moratorium on any developments on any of that land where First Nations communities say uh, they've never uh, ceded or released. So the, the onus, um, Canada wants the onus and the provinces want the onus to be on First Nations to establish their rights to the land and the onus should be reversed. Canada should have the onus because of the long history and the original, that all the land originally was First Nations land. So the, the, the struggle takes place on many, many fronts, on protest lines, in the courts, at negotiations to tables, and trying to, to get Canada to, to change its policy, to actually implement the, the UN Declaration on, on Human Rights now. And um, yeah, so that's uh, kind of, uh, in a nutshell, what we're all about uh, in working with uh, solidarity with uh, First Nations people. You're listening to the Radical Reverend Show. I'm speaking with John Olthius, who is an Aboriginal rights lawyer, has been for 50 years, uh, dealing with, as you heard, governments across Canada. And uh, right after John on the show, we're, we'll be talking to Skylar Williams, who's part of the Land Defenders Movement, um, about 1492 Land Back Lane. Uh, so stay tuned for that as well. Um, John, before we get into the specifics of this issue, um, I wanted to talk to you about the, I mean, the PR spin of our governments is always that they're working with First Nations, that they're working with Indigenous, that we're all friends, that you know these things can be hammered out. Um, independent of political party, almost we see this happening. Um, we certainly hear it from the Trudeau government. Um, how does this jive with what you're seeing in the courts? Because it seems to me there's there's a discrepancy between the spin and what's actually happening in our court systems and out on the ground. Yeah, there, there, there's a, it's a complete dis disconnect. Uh, governments uh, talk reconciliation, but it doesn't happen. And uh, uh, prime examples of that are the, it was the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People, which was um, after OCA. And there were many, many very uh, important recommendations uh, for systemic change in the relationship. And that report is gathering uh, dust on uh, government shelves. We have the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's uh, 94 recommendations. Uh, one or two of them are being worked at uh, sort of half-heartedly and, and very, you know, at, at, at very, very slow pace. And we have the missing and murdered Indigenous uh, inquiry, uh, women and girls inquiry, and Canada's dragging its feet on that. Um, so um, there's a huge uh, gap between Canada's stated commitment to reconciliation and what is actually happening at the negotiation tables. And uh, we're at many of those negotiation tables. We, we, we raise uh, the statements Canada's made about commitments to reconciliation, about um, ad adhering to uh, uh, the um, uh, UNDRIP, and uh, we're, we're frankly told that none of those instructions have reached the folks that we're negotiating with, and we get the same basic story when we're talking to go up the line to deputy ministers and so on. So there's a, particularly with the Trudeau government, there's this huge gap between what they're, they're say they're doing and what they're actually doing. And in the courts, uh, the, the child welfare, the Cindy Blackstock case and so on is another demonstration of the fact that they say they, they want to make things right, but then 
they uh, they fight tooth and nail in in the court. So uh, it's uh, it, it's a huge huge gap and a gap that uh, many Canadians, when I meet Canadians at airports and so on and have discussions or just uh, on the street or in in coffee shops. Uh, say, well, isn't it wonderful that uh, things have changed? And I say, no, wait a minute. And uh, so they're very, very surprised that what's actually happening uh, is is not anywhere near uh, to what the government says is happening. Now, talk about the Cindy Blackstock case for a second, child welfare, because again, a, a lot of the problem I think is is simply media coverage. I mean, I, you know, it's been covered so little and so poorly. Uh, people don't know what's actually going on. Yeah. Maybe just instruct our listeners who might not be aware what's happening with that case, the child welfare case. Well, Canada is continuing to fight in the courts uh, the implementation of the recommendations made by. Uh, the Canadian Human Rights Commission, and at every turn, they are are are, are fighting uh, what uh, the Human Rights Commission said had to be uh, substantive quality, and uh, so the, that that's that's ongoing. And I think sometimes uh, the the media, uh, some of the issues are are rather complicated, but media has to start digging in more than they have to really tell tell the story and Cindy's done an amazing amazing job there is the uh, C92 bill that was um, passed which uh, gives uh, first in first nations and metis and inuit the right to set up their own child welfare agencies and uh, we're working a lot of uh, folks are working at trying to make sure that the funding uh, for that is is in, in place. And that would mean the transfer of funding that's now going from, from Canada to uh, support uh, uh, provincial agencies that act in many places have the mandate to actually deliver uh, child welfare, uh, to change that and have that funding go to, to uh, uh, Aboriginal and um, Métis and Inuit child welfare agencies. So hopefully that uh, that will happen. So there are some some good good things um, in in the uh, in pro in progress on those those issues. But there's an amazing amount of work that needs to be done to to it's the systemic inequality issues are, are the fundamental issues that, that need to be addressed. And those really are not being addressed in any substantive way by, uh, by governments across the country. Why is that, John? Do you think, is it, is it just about the money? Is it just about the money that they'll have to pay out of the land that they might possibly lose? What is it that's keeping governments back? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, Aboriginal people have always had the impacts of all developments are on Aboriginal people and the benefits all go to, uh, in many cases, uh, companies that are not even Canadian and the environmental uh, impacts are there and there is simply not the political will uh, in government to take a bold stand and to say no we, we have to we have to uh, move in the direction of actually uh, re reconciliation and um, it's first nations are more than willing to sit down and say we're going to share that was the original intent of the treaties the sharing of, of, of land and not the seeding and releasing of the land and the sharing of the land, means that um, if projects are, go ahead, they have to have the consent of First Nations. And then if they say no, uh, the project should not proceed. And uh, it, it's, it's, I mean, capitalism and, and colonialism are, are still alive and well. And people, uh, I think most Canadians would like to see some move towards substantive equality, but governments uh, are, are resisting that because of the, the influence of, of the corporate uh, world. 
on on government policy. It it gets back to that whole uh, thing of of government not acting in the best interest of people and communities acting act government acts in the best interest of those who have the uh, the power of the corporate sector and that that's still very very much entrenched uh, speaking to John Ultheus um, uh, of Ultheus Clear and Townsend, uh, Aboriginal rights law firm, and he's a lawyer and activist and has been for some 50 years uh, in issues dealing with First Nations across Canada. I want to talk, uh, because there's some confusion, I think, when you hear about um, things like the land defenders, um, who, who are the decision makers among First Nations? Because here you have a case, and maybe we could talk about that a bit, um, where Six Nations elected chief and council agreed in 2019 to support a development project, but the hereditary chiefs were not consulted and there was no meaningful community consultation according to the land defenders here. We've heard a similar kind of situation in BC um, over the gas line there. Um, what is your uh, take? I mean, I guess for the, the viewer who doesn't know a lot about Indigenous issues, it looks like um, who's who's the leader there? Who are you negotiating with? Well, uh, my my view is that uh, First Nations, uh, if uh, First Nations are to be self-determining, we have to uh, give them acknowledge their right to be self-determining. So, for each community, uh, they have to work out the relationship between the elected councils and the uh, traditional uh, councils and. Uh, um, there's no question that the imposition of the Indian Act and the creation of the uh, elected uh, councils and chiefs and reserved land has uh, uh, driven a, a deep wedge in, into many uh, communities. So in, in my view, what has to happen is there has to be a moratorium on all these kinds of developments giving First Nations internally the time to work out uh, their, their, their relationship. What, what, and it's not the same in, in uh, every instance uh, across, across the country. Um, for us, for non-Aboriginal people to get involved in that discussion, to me, is another form of colonialism. We have forever been telling First Nations what's best for them, how to run their lives, and, and uh, one of the first things I was I was told when I started working with them was, look, you have created your people, non-indigenous people, have created an oppressive system where we can no longer be self-determining. We were self-determining for thousands of years. You have now put in place government structures and institutions and decision-making uh, bodies that. Uh, mean we no longer have room to be self-determining. So if you want to help stand in solidarity with us, your job is to change that system, to work at systemic change, to create the political, social, and cultural space so that we can once again become self-determining. And uh, I firmly believe that that's uh, the case. And we have to do that and give First Nations this opportunity but we cannot put pressure on them as is happening in Six Nations where they say, well, we're gonna do these developments anyway. And uh, the only way to, to, to try and, and slow those down or prevent them is to have uh, pro protests, uh, to go to court and so on. But it, it, the courts are, are a very, very dif difficult uh, way to, because courts too, are really an expression of, of the colonial uh, system. And indigenous law, uh, which is now being worked at, is really not respected. So uh, it, for me, it comes back to saying, look, until uh, these things are sorted out, there should be a moratorium on development on disputed land. And the government should declare that moratorium so that uh, protesters don't have to continually go out on the line and do these kinds of protests. They should be free to have the internal discussions and work out between the uh, traditional people and the elected councils. 
uh, what what their positions uh, should be, and we have to create the space so that they can do that. Uh, speaking, uh, as I said before, to John Ulfius, uh, Aboriginal rights lawyer and activist for some 50 years, uh, as has been his firm. Um, uh, it, it's a classic kind of colonial ruse, of, of course, John, when you when you think about this is that you, you know, you you find the people who are willing to work with you over the <laughs> the will of the people and just go with whatever and, and plow ahead, um, which seems to have been the, the history of development, um, both in the ener energy sector and just development in the in the housing sector on on first nations land just to get back because i'm going to be speaking in a few minutes to skylar williams who's part of the land defenders who has been on the line um, at 1492 land back lane um where's the hope in, in this for uh folk like skylar uh standing on the line first nations and aboriginal people who are putting their bodies on the line to try to stop some developments um, you know, where's the hope for this issue generally? You've been in it for 50 years. Do you lose hope? No, no. I, I, uh, I'm one of the amazing things is the resilience of First Nations people, uh, and the. I mean, it, 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 it's amazing to me, and it's. Uh, I always get uh, inspired by by that. They. Um, they respond with, uh, with with grace and with understanding, but also with a, a fierce commitment to making sure that they honor their ancestors by living out their spirituality and their cultures and their traditions. And um, I I think that the uh, UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People uh, holds. Uh, the um, key to uh, getting, focusing on that free, prior, and informed consent. And a lot of people of goodwill, uh, Indigenous and non-Indigenous, see that as part of this systemic change, this creating this, this social space so that First Nations then can decide whether to consent to projects or, or not to consent to projects and that that will be uh, respected. So, and I think uh, there has to be much more focus internationally on uh, shining the light on this discrepancy between Canada's stated commitment to reconciliation and what it's actually doing. Pointing out, you know, the failure to uh, uh, implement any real substantive recommendations of the Royal Commission or the TRC or the missing and murdered inquiry, which demonstrates clearly that Canada is not uh, living up to its stated commitment to reconciliation. And I think the what what's happening now in terms of systemic racism for marginalized communities uh, in in the continent bodes well for uh, people coming to understand. Uh, that there has to be systemic change in terms of our relationship with uh, First Nations people. So I'm very, very hopeful that there are enough people of, of, of goodwill and commitment that, uh, that, that that will lead to, to some substantive change. So uh, 50 years uh, is, is a long time, but I'm still I'm gonna be in the trenches with First Nations people as long as I can. And we all thank you for that. Uh, you're listening to the Radical Reverend Show here, and I've been speaking to John Olthias of Olthias Clear Townsend and firm uh, that deals with nothing but Aboriginal rights issues here at, based in Toronto, um, an activist for some 50 years. Thank you so much, John, for your life and for your work. And, uh, and please keep us posted on the show about what's next. Uh, we're going to be speaking to Skylar Williams next about what it's like to put your body on the line, uh, where these issues are. And uh, so stay tuned for that. And of course, um, I'm your host, Sherry DeNovo, as always, and always interested in your feedback. I can get it any old way, Instagram, Twitter, uh, email, Facebook, you name it, keep in touch. And we will be back after a short break with Skylar Williams.
Welcome back to the Radical Reverend Show. And of course, we are not in the studio, as you heard uh, with our first interviewee, John Otheus. Uh, now we're talking to the man himself, Skylar Williams, Mohawk Wolf from Six Nations and currently residing at 1492 Landback Lane. Skylar, why are you there? Tell us. Uh, we are reclaiming some of our traditional territory. We have uh, uh, about a, what is we have 48, day 48 today of, uh, yeah, uh, peaceful occupation of our territory. And what kind of, uh, what kind of resistance from the state have you faced there? Uh, so the provincial, the province in, uh, in, in Ontario here has the uh, Ontario Provincial Police. And so they are being tasked with enforcing a court injunction. Uh, an injunction is just a, like a civil court order that uh, uh, will see people who are uh, interfering with the lawful use of property in, in, in their eyes anyways. And so they're, they're granted that uh, enforcement mechanism by uh, a court without notice of any of the people of Six Nations or myself or any of the people here. And what's proposed to go on that site, uh, just so listeners who aren't up to date on this would know? So yeah, there's 1,400 houses that are um, slated to be uh, built on our on, a, on our doorstep. And so this is um, uh, in in Canada. There's lots of processes that need to be followed in order to add on to the size of reserves. So our reserve is the the biggest uh, population wise and um in north america uh with twenty seven thousand band members and um so yeah the and our uh footprint our uh reservation size is continually getting smaller right and so we need to like every other community across this country in the u.s as well has done nothing but uh, double and triple and quadruple in size over the last 20, 30 years. And so uh, I think our community is uh, firmly saying that we need space to be able to grow and thrive just like every other community does. And just describe, because not everybody knows uh, the show, by the way, gets broadcast on podcasts to everywhere on iTunes and SoundCloud, but is also aired on CIUT from Buffalo to Barrie, Kitchener to Coburg. Where exactly are you, you talking about? Where are you situated? Uh, so the right now we're just out uh, uh, Six Nations Reserve is the original Haldeman Deed is all of Grand River, which is just west of Toronto and goes all the way down to just about Buffalo. And so it's just on the Canadian side of Buffalo. There's a town called Port Maitland where it, uh, where it pours into Lake Erie. Yeah. So what, you know, what's the problem? And, and, and it, maybe take us, walk us through this because, you know, Six Nations elected chief and council supposedly agreed in 2019 to support this project. Uh, but we understand the hereditary chiefs uh, were not consulted and there was no meaningful community consultation. So what's your take on all of that process? Um, well, I, there was there was a, a very small scale of community consultation. I think there was something in the neighborhood of 60 or 70 people that attended meetings that cast ballots and uh, voted resoundingly against the development here. And the developer came back with, you know, like, well, either you can uh, take this amount of money or in the development will roll, will roll on, or you cannot take the money and the development will still roll on. And, you know, this is shocking. How is this even remotely legal on unceded territory? I think that's kind of the confusion is that we keep on uh, saying that, well, the band council sold the land. That's not what they did. They were accommodated by the developer so that people like myself wouldn't come out and, and uh, object to it. And so when uh, our people come and uh, uh, object to uh, massive developments, because I mean, that's the thing is like our people aren't going up and down the river saying, handing out eviction notices and telling people to get off, uh, get off our land. Like, well, we're, we're about the peace. It's about being peaceful and understanding that like some of these families have been here for, for generations. And 
we're not about to go up and uh, tell people to get out of their homes. But when the, the property here is vacated and there's nobody uh, living here, um, being displaced by us being here, then it can be a peaceful uh, reclamation of our territory. Now, there have been in Canada royal commissions after truth and reconciliation commissions and you know, there's a UN declaration and yada, yada. And if you listen to the federal government or the provincial government, for that matter, or various political stripes, you always hear, well, we're making great strides. We're, you know, we're negotiating, blah, blah, blah. Um, what's your take on all of that? Um, well, I mean, reconciliation, like those, like those are very real words, right? And like they, and, and they, um, the federal government has made huge commitments uh, around what nation-to-nation relationships should look like. And so that is one of the coin terms that uh, Justin Trudeau has, has said over and over and over, that uh, developing these nation-to-nation relationships is what it's about. And that's exactly what we are saying, that to um, not have us sit at the table with uh, decision-makers around being able to add to our reserve, to be able to ne- negotiate in good faith, um, but at the same time, right now, like we are sitting here with a gun to our head, not just figuratively, but literally. And so on the 17th day of our occupation here, the OPP came in uh, letting shotgun shots fly at our people, tasering people, dragging uh, women off the off, off our land, kicking and screaming. Uh, there was knees and back of necks uh, in the middle of the road. Uh, one young man had a is going to have some scarring across his whole face and cheek and ear because his face was dragged along the asphalt. Like these are the things that uh, peaceful occupiers of their own land are being subjected to. And so this is, this is like this for us is a huge problem. No kidding. I mean, it should be a huge problem for anybody who, who, you know, thinks about human rights at all. I mean, and right now, of course, in the press, you know, there's a lot of talk of defunding the police. Um, and yet, uh, clearly what you're experiencing is, um, is why we should. Um, but, but why is there no media coverage about this? I mean, I, I've been kind of ranting about this on social media for a while, ever since you folk have been there. And uh, it doesn't seem to be getting any better. Like, where are the reporters covering this? Where are the television cameras? Have you know? Have you reached out? Like, what's what's the scoop there? Yes. Talking, by the way, to and I should uh, mention again, his name's Skylar Williams. Uh, he's a land defender. Uh, he's a Mohawk wolf. He's a member of Six Nations, and he's currently occupying a property called 1492 Landback Lane, where a proposed development of 1,400 houses is going on unceded territory. Skylar. Why no media coverage of this? Uh, uh, we have been reaching out, and I mean, there isn't there isn't very much that sexy about uh, peaceful occupation of uh, Haudenosaunee territory. When uh, police came in, and there was uh, a community response that, uh, and people asked, you know, why that happened, and and like this is what four hundred years of oppression and hate and racism and. Uh, over incarceration of our people and all of those kind of, like in the most recently anyways this kind of quiet whispered racism but when it comes as a glaring uh, shotgun shots flying over your head and because I mean they don't tell you that they're rubber bullets when they're firing them that uh, it wasn't until a couple of days later that we found out that they were rubber bullets but it was uh, just a 12 gauge shotgun two of them pointed at our people firing shots and so uh, it's um, quite literally asking us to negotiate when they continue to uh, enforce these uh, injunctions on our people. And so as of yesterday, a couple of our people were arrested uh, away from site here. And so it is a slow, uh, methodical uh, means of kind of picking people off one at a time. And people that have jobs, that have uh, families that, that, you know, came to support in whatever way they could uh, are now faced with uh, criminal charges and the criminalization of uh, us upholding our laws that have been here far beyond when Canada ever, ever was. I see you, you look like you're in a car, Skylar. We're, we're taping there uh, just for listener land uh, um, on Zoom here. 
Um, what's it like to be there? What's it like to be an occupier? Describe a day in your life there. A day in the life. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I spend a lot of time doing this stuff. And uh, and I think I've said uh, over and over and over again, like I'll talk to anybody that'll want, that wants to sit down and listen and, and ask questions and I'll, I'll answer when I'm as, as best I can. Um, so there's, you know, there's always stuff to do where we're building. We have a, a, a kitchen that we're building, the bunkhouse. And so we've, we've got that erected. We just got our windows in yesterday. And so all of that kind of stuff is happening all the time. Uh, so there's always something to do, something to build, something to cook. There's always, uh, there's always um, lots and lots to do. And so with uh, being out in the middle of uh, desert out here, like because the the uh, uh, developer here has stripped the land here of every blade of grass, every shrub, every tree, and it's just been bulldozed over to now what it sits is just a, uh, a barren bit of clay, and uh, I think that's what one of the big understandings is, is that like our connection to the to the earth, our connection to the land here is uh, something that's tangible, that it's a, a real thing for us. This is where our creation story from that our our people are made from this. And so that connection for us is a very real thing. And so when I'm sure a, a number of you have reached out to the developer directly, what what's the response from the developer not police responsible, you know, these are the people ultimately that are responsible. What, what are they saying? Um, that they want to continue building their houses, that they paid band council, that they, they paid band council the $352,000, which is um, about $50,000 less than the cost of one of the uh, units that's being sold. Which is outrageous. Um, one of uh, John Oltius's lines in the first uh, half of the show was that he thought legally um, no development projects, nothing should go ahead until there's a unified voice coming from uh, Indigenous or First Nations communities. Um, and uh, that kind of made sense to me. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. And that's one of the things um, some of the folks here have been uh, talking about since the very start here is that there needs to be a moratorium on development, certainly on the doorstep of our community. And uh, because the language around the Haldeman Deed being the six miles on either side of the Grand River, um, I kind of like that language as well. And to say, you know, six miles around our reserve, be no massive developments. And we're not talking about somebody trying to build a porch in their backyard, but certainly not no new building. And, uh, and so, yeah, so those kinds of things need to need to stop. Uh, like the government, the police, the uh, OPP, uh, RCMP before them, the Brits before that, have uh, sought out every crack in our community to be able to drive wedges in. And they've driven them home at every opportunity that they could find. And so uh, over the last you know, 50 to 100 years, they have uh, ramped up development in our area and are taking advantage of those those splits that they've made and it's not, and that's not something that is just um something that is just a six nations issue that is something that's uh true across all of canada with the implementation of band councils and so with the band council stuff they park a whole whack of money with one one family or one uh group in our community and the the have-nots uh are upset with them and then it goes back and forth and back and forth until it's 100 years later in our community. Band Council has been here for 100 years. And so now we're 100 years later and there's 100 years worth of uh, bad blood and mistrust and uh, 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 bad feelings in, in both directions. And, uh, and so now the, the state has started to... Uh, take advantage of that in, in, in very big ways. And so what we're saying is, you know what, you have created all of these problems. You have perpetuated all of these issues. And so we need the time and space to be able to grow, to heal as a community. And uh, certainly the moratorium being only the six miles in, on each side of the reserve, uh, it's about, it's just shy of 10 kilometers. And so if we are able to uh, 
maintain a maintain that buffer zone around the reserve at least it gives us an opportunity to be able to have uh you know meaningful discussions in our community without you know without a gun to our head without us feeling uh the necessity of having to you know uh, spend the last 48 days in the middle of a desert you know it's uh this isn't an easy easy task for anybody and uh for for me as a father, as a husband, as a, a tradesperson, like I, I, I worked my whole life, and to be able to put that on hold for for the time being, to be able to come out and uh, uh, do the do my part, anyways, in uh, uh, reclaiming some of our our traditional territory. Uh, speaking to Skylar uh, Williams, who is Mohawk Wolf, a Six Nations member, uh, about the occupation that's happening at 1492 Land Back Lane. So, Skylar, just about you, um, what made you, you know, the activist that you are? And thank you for being an activist. But uh, what what do you think went into that? Whereas maybe some others are not. So, actually, oddly enough, uh, uh, today is. Uh, uh, Dudley George's um, the anniversary of the shooting of Dudley George. That was, uh, you know, uh, 25 years ago today. And uh, uh, 20, and uh, and so yeah, as a kid, like I uh, what was I 15, uh, went there as a as a child and, uh, and or a young man, and um, uh, that introduced me to a lot of. Uh, 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 of people who, you know, shaped and molded the uh, what it looks like when our people stand together, and not just Haudenosaunee people, but I mean, this is something that is true across Turtle Island, that our people can can stand together, that we can that we can fight together, that we can live and ha- have uh, uh, a more prosperous uh, existence when we're able to stand together and and in spite of whatever whatever's in front of us. And when we do that, and I think we've seen that with the wet sweating, um, uh, if we are able, especially in this time now that, uh, you know, internet and uh, social media being what it is, uh, these things can spread like wildfire across the country. And uh, I think uh, the OPP for certainly has to uh, look twice about having these heavy handed enforcement mechanisms in order to deal with uh, putting down uh, uh, native protesters or whatever they want to call us, land defenders. We were like, uh, it, there's just uh, the uh, the labels for us are are, are long. Uh, yes, yeah, so speaking to Skylar Williams here again about the you know occupation of what is unceded territory. I mean, three hundred and fifty thousand. Uh, that seems like anybody could see that's not a good deal. <laughs> for anybody and anything you know I mean this is this is shocking truly I mean the terms are shocking and I mean like and again we need to remember that that that's not a sale right right yeah the consult this is part of the consultation and accommodation process and so it's saying that the developer understands that there is a a legal land claim um that's before the courts um and I think like that kind of speaks to the, the thing that land claims have nothing to do with land, like land claims and the land claims process has an absolutely nothing to do with land. And so when we uh, uh, sum up our, our, our land holdings, our collective land holdings as a people, the dollars and cents, I think that does a disservice to not just um, uh, Haudenosaunee people, but also to, to this country as well. Of course, absolutely. But I mean, we all know that, you know, once a house is built on a property, it's really difficult, as you've expressed earlier, to get to move that house, to move that family who've invested their money. And so obviously the system is counting on that. Uh, I mean, I guess swindle is the word that comes to mind here. But um, so, so what, like, so, so far the OPPs use 
you know, rubber bullets, but which by the way, really hurt <laughs> rubber bullets and uh, arrests and intimidation. And this is, as you mentioned, 25 years after the anniversary of Dudley George, I thought, or we thought in downtown Toronto next to Queens Park that things would change, that after that, um, that there were supposed to be a new kind of, you know, new kind of reconciliation spirit and that they wouldn't go in with with police first off. You're not seeing that. Um, thoughts? Ontario's, and Ontario's Premier coming out talking about uh, uh, coming out swinging at uh, uh, Indigenous land defenders is uh, like that. These are very provocative statements. And so uh, I think if Ontario is hearing those statements and from the Premier, and so the chief of police being, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure has his ear, ear bent by, by uh, uh, Premier Ford. Um, uh, hearing those statements of like coming out swinging, like those are like, this is the, this is the provocation and the, the escalation of, of uh, police violence that we're talking about. What about your local representation there, MPs, MPPs, councillors, any support uh, anywhere? No, no, no. None of the uh, Haldeman and uh, uh, Haldeman County Mayor, uh, Ken Hewitt, has come out uh, and said some uh, inflammatory and uh, uh, untrue or maybe uneducated statements uh, about the, uh, the state of land claims. And what about your provincial representation or your federal representation? Any, uh, any sounds so of, from them? We did get a letter uh, addressed to both the band council and the hereditary Confederacy chiefs from uh, Minister Mark Miller and Minister uh, uh, Carolyn Bennett uh, wanting to engage in uh, negotiations about uh, about what, you know us here as well as the. Uh, kind of future governance issues. And so I think that they are kind of set to meet in the coming days. Well, hopefully that uh, has, you know, has some bearing on what the outcome is here. Um, I, I mean, I just have to say, and I'm sure I'm just voicing what a lot of listeners are feeling that um, this is shameful. And this is yet again, Canada in the eyes of the world um, who are supposed to be living up or make noises in that direction to the UN declaration for the rights of indigenous people. And they're not, we're not, we're not living up to it. This must be so frustrating 25 years later. Um, what keeps you going Skylar? What keeps you going? Well, I mean, like uh, in 2006, we had uh, a big win here in six nations, I think. Um, and I think that's one of the things too, is that like everybody kind of keeps asking for, uh, for our sovereignty. And I think that's that like that's a big mistake. That like the the deed over this land here, uh, we have it and have never relinquished that. And so I don't need anything from Ontario. I don't need anything from Canada to say that this is our land. I know that it is, and we have we have all of the paperwork and the historical documentation to back those claims up. And so if we're going to if we're going to um, push these claims forward that that's something that we need to do in very real ways and uh, and we are prepared to do that the last time that we in 2006 that we came to the table the uh, federal government and the provincial government came back with uh, their answer to why they thought that we uh, relinquished it is they said that we thought uh, or we assumed that you wanted to surrender the land and that was that was their 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 top negotiators at their best, saying that they they thought that we intended to uh, surrender the land. This is a ridiculous and appalling. I mean, you know, I mean, who would ever you know surrender their land for nothing? <laughs> and so I mean, there's like a huge long talk about uh, the Haldeman deed and. Uh, uh, I would suggest to any of your listeners that want to learn more about it to uh, check out like the film and tour talks about there's a there's an amazing talk on YouTube about the Haldeman tract and the and like exactly what it is and where it is and uh, just how exactly it is we've been getting screwed for the last 150 200 years.
So Skylar, now you're in day 17, is that right, of the occupation? No, 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 we're oh, in day okay. 48. 48, okay, sorry, because I heard 17 there, but... Um, that was the day of raid. That uh, was the day. Uh, got it, okay, so day 48. Um, I mean, what do you hope will happen, um, and what do you fear will happen? Well... My hope is that, you know, Ontario or the federal government uh, step up to the plate and uh, buy out the developer and so that these injunctions against our people will go away. Um, I'm one of the named parties in this uh, injunction proceedings right now, and the developer is seeking $20 million in damages. And so, like, this is, uh, like, the, like, these are massive issues then that, that uh, need not be before a court, but uh, in those nation-to-nation talks that uh, the Prime Minister has been so keen to tell all Native people that that's what he wants to establish, is that nation-to-nation relationship. So, and your fears, what what do you fear might happen? Uh, fear is that they'll come back in again, and uh, our people will be shot at with rubber bullets and uh, hopefully not lethal force. But I think that is something that is in the, on the back of everybody's mind. So how can we help? So out there in listener land, what can we do to help um, your, you know, your attempt to just, just really um, have what is rightfully yours um, and that is being by force taken from you? How could, how could people that are far away from you help? What can we do? Uh, so yeah, like the criminalization, of course, is again something that is uh, is a very real thing for us. And so the legal defense fund, we have a GoFundMe uh, campaign that's set up for that. And what is the title of that that fund, so people can find it easily? Uh, Fourteen ninety two Land Back Lane. Okay, and so there's a legal defense la- fund that people can donate to and should. Uh, anything else we can do? And uh, so we do have a camp and build fund where we accept e-transfers and uh, uh, that uh, land back. Uh, the number six, nations at gmail.com. Okay, and thank you for that. And I would also suggest that anybody out there, because this is a provincial situation here, um, also federal, of course, a bit, but is speak to your MP and your MPP wherever you are. Doesn't matter where you are. Just speak to them and say what's going on, and also make a call in to your mainstream media and say we need coverage. Did you know what's happening? People are being shot at, um, and get them to cover it. So I would suggest that. Skylar, just want to say thank you so much. Um, Lots of light, <laughs> lots of light and love and uh, support. There are a lot of people who support you. A lot of people on the streets of Toronto who support you in demonstrations. Um, we just wish that and we hope that we can get people to listen. Thank you. And please feel free whenever you want to come back on the Radical Reverend Show, you're always welcome to keep us abreast of what's happening there. Okay. So much. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.